Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Chatham Community Church once again, and uh, welcome to those folks who are with us online, whether today or in the future. Uh, my name is Jaime. I'm one of the pastors here at Chatham Community Church, and I am excited to welcome you here this morning, whether you are here for the first time, the first time in a little while, or whether you're here every week. I'm so glad you're here and you're worshiping with us this morning. You may not know that we are one church in two locations, so uh, there's this group of people that are worshiping here along with the folks who are worshiping with us online, and then we have one group of people who are worshiping down at Pittsburgh at Chatham Mills, and normally I am with the folks at Pittsburgh. I'm down there at Chatham Mills, and our lead pastor, Alex, normally is here, but Alex is on sabbatical, uh, taking some time to refresh, to rest, and to be restored, and so we're having both a series of guests come and share with us, and also I'm up here a little bit more often, and I love that I get to spend a little bit more time with you. Uh, a common part of many uh, procedural or police TV shows or shows with law enforcement agencies, something that gets repeated over and over again in these types of shows, it's what's known as the interrogation scene. It doesn't matter if the show is a drama like Law and Order or The Wire and even a comedy like Brooklyn Nine-Nine. It seems like if there's law enforcement involved at some point or another, there will be an interrogation scene, right? At some point, you'll have the, the person of interest or the suspect in a room with the investigators going back and forth to see what, if any, information can be revealed or what, if any, information will be withheld. And when done right, Interrogation scenes can be riveting. It's so riveting, in fact, that Netflix created a series based exclusively on this scene, on the interrogation scene. The show is called Criminal, and it has iterations in four countries, including the United Kingdom, which you're seeing on screen. And each episode takes place mostly in an interrogation room or in the adjacent viewing room. And most episodes deal only with one interview, one suspect or one person of interest. And let me tell you, this is a risky proposition because a lot rides on just what's going on in there. There are no action scenes. There are no car chases. There's no fingerprint or DNA analysis. All that there is is the script and the acting. And if it's good, it flies. And if it's not, it crashes, right? It is a risky concept. But watching this show, it's impressive to see how good it is and how much the characters, particularly the people who are being interviewed, the people who are being interrogated, can change over the course of an episode. Uh, 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 oftentimes, they start out looking something like this guy on your screen, closed off, on the defensive. You can tell that this guy doesn't want to be here and he is likely unwilling to say anything. He is locked down. He looks stone-faced, defiant even. And yet later on, there's a change. You can see it in his body language. You can see it on his face. And you don't need to hear a single word of dialogue to know that this guy has confessed to something. He has revealed some information, something crucial, something that was inside of him that he was holding on to has now been brought out. He looks lighter. It's almost like some humanity has been restored to him. 
And what this actor has captured, what you can see in his body language, is maybe best summarized by a phrase that actually gets used in lots of these TV shows and movies during interrogation scenes. This idea that confession is good for the soul. You see it in him. Something has changed. Some good has come to him. It's like the thing that was being kept, whether it was something he did or something he knew about what had been done, was weighing on him and doing harm to him. And when it was revealed, when it was brought out, you can see the effect. You can see the positive impact it has on him. You can see that it is good for the soul. Starting a couple of weeks ago and going through the rest of this month, I've been sharing uh, uh, pieces of advice that I've received over the course of my life that have, that have helped me thrive. Not just me, but others who have received them that have helped us thrive, particularly as it connects to our life with God. These are words that have kept me sharp that have honed me. And I'm sharing them in the hopes that they can help hone all of us so that just like a blade that's been honed can cut like it was meant to, you and I, in applying these words, can live the lives we were created for. And today's piece of advice has to do with confession. And here's why confession is important. Here's why it's crucial to living the life we were made for. You and I, were made for good. We were created by God for good, with love, and for a good purpose. We weren't made to be at peace with that which is evil or that which is wrong. We weren't made to be at peace with having done those things, and we weren't made to be at peace with knowing about things like that that have been done. We weren't made to keep those things in to keep them inside, to keep them secret. And when we do, they weigh us down. They weigh our souls down. They burden us. And confession is good because confession unburdens the soul. Confession lifts the weight that the soul was not meant to carry. So in order to dig a little bit deeper into this, let's go to the scriptures. And we're going to spend our time today in 1 John chapter 1. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and look up 1 John chapter 1. If you're fairly new to the Bible and are looking for it, just know that there is a gospel known as the book of John. And it says just John in your Bibles. We're not going there. We're going a little bit further into the New Testament. And if you're looking in your index, there is a 1 and then John after it. That's where we're going. And we're going to be in the first chapter. It's towards the end of the Bible. It's past Hebrews, but before Revelation. If you're at the part with the weights and measures, you went too far. <laughs> you went too far. But go ahead and pull up the first chapter of 1 John, and we're going to start in verse 5, and we'll continue on to the second chapter, verse 2. And if you don't have a Bible, it's going to be on the screen in just a second. But here we go. 1 John 1, starting in verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. 
If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now, this, God, this letter from John is likely written by the same John that we believe wrote the gospel that bears his name. And it's being written likely uh, in the first century, likely directed at Christian communities all around that area where the church first started, that Christian communities that at this point are likely no, no longer being able to meet in synagogues. At the start of the Christian movement, many Christian communities still met in synagogues. But by this point, it's likely they've been expelled. There is some turmoil going on in the church as things are forming and solidifying. They are trying to sort through what is correct teaching and what is not correct teaching. They are dealing with pressures from other local religions, and they are also dealing with the pressure that comes or that is coming from people who had been part of the community and have now left the community of faith and are trying to draw people out and into a different way of living and a different way of teaching, which explains why these letters have a good bit of clarifying going on, why you see a lot of language along the lines of not this, but that is what we believe, or this is what we believe and not that. You get that type of construction in these letters. In fact, you get it in this passage as well. This passage contrasts light and darkness. It says things like, God is light. And it encourages us to walk in the light. And what happens in the light? What does the passage tell us that, that happens in the light? Well, it tells us that God is in the light. And it tells us that in that light where God is, we can have community with him. We can have connection with him. We can have relationship with him. This is what's meant by the word fellowship. And it's not just that. When we're in the light, we get to have all those things with each other as well. All of us who are in the light get to have that sense of family, that sense of community, that sense of fellowship in the light. We get to live out the truth. What that means is that we get to live out that for which we were made for. That for which we were fashioned, our purpose, what we were created to live out. And lastly, it says that in the light, we are purified from all sin. We are cleansed and freed from all that weighs us down, but we are also healed from all the wounds that sin inflicts on us because of the things other people do, the ways other people commit wrong to us. We are purified from all sin. And that sounds really good doesn't it? That sounds almost like a life that thrives, and that happens in the light. When I first moved here to North Carolina, the house that, that I live at has this huge backyard, and there is a part of it that appeared to have been used as a garden, and so th there were these dreams of creating a garden, and so as the spring approached, we started to observe, or I started to observe what the, guard, what the, what the yard was like, and I noticed that for the most part, the garden or the area that, that I was thinking about for a garden was kept in shade. And that was puzzling to me. And then I realized 
that all the neighbors all around us had left up these trees. These trees had grown tall and their branches had grown tall and they were extending some into the yard. And, and so we got, we got, a, we got a, a trimmer and we trimmed those leaves, trimmed those branches, and yet still they had left their trees grow so tall that just with the branches on their sides of the fence, the area was completely shaded. It was shaded so much that it felt like it wasn't worth it. It wasn't worth it to plant a garden because we know, we knew, I know, that plants, in order to grow, in order to bear good fruit, need enough light. They need enough light in order to grow and bear fruit. And see, we are like plants in some ways as well. We thrive. We bear good fruit when we are in the light. We were made to thrive and bear good fruit when we live in the light. It's the life that we were made for. And that life that we were made for, that life that is in the light is contrasted with the life in the darkness. And there seems to be a key distinctive between the life in the light and the life in the darkness. And it has everything to do with this word, sin. Now, earlier this year, we spent a good number of weeks talking about this concept, sin. It was part of a series we titled Fractured. And if you weren't here, I want to encourage you to go back and listen to them and watch them. We did some good work uh, with this concept. We did some good work tracing the points of origin for the cracks in our world, the cracks in our lives, the cracks in our relationships. So let me give us just a brief definition, a review of what we mean when we use the word sin. We are talking about the actions, the thoughts, the feelings, and the inclinations that lead us away from God and from the love, the wholeness, and the peace that we were made for. And that word sin is repeated a bunch of times in this passage. If memory serves me right, nine times in just these limited number of verses, which means it's a key word. And what seems to determine whether we live in the light or live in the darkness is not sin on its own. It doesn't seem to be sin on its own. It seems to be more specifically, at least in this passage, how we respond and how we relate to sin. At least according to this passage, it seems that what keeps us out of the light, what keeps us or what leads us to remain in darkness is a certain level of comfort with sin, a persistence in sin, and most dangerously, a denial of sin, and a denial of our sin. That last one comes across loudly in the passage. The passage says things like, if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie. It says if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and his truth is not in us. Now during that time, there was a particular teaching that was seducing Christian communities that was saying that if you had become a Christian, if you had decided to follow Jesus, you were no longer capable of sinning. And those of us sitting here who have made that decision are looking at people next to us who have made that decision and are saying that is definitely not true. <laughs> but we also probably know it when we look at it in the mirror. And there's danger. There's danger to denying our capacity to sin, even as followers of Jesus. There's danger to denying the existence 
of our sins. The danger is that we end up living double lives. We end up living the actual life that we're living, the one that includes sin, and then this other life. It's the life that we tell ourselves that we're living. It's the life that we project to others that we're living. It's the life that we sometimes try to convince God that we're living. A life where everything is okay. A life where we never stray. A life where we never have those thoughts or those feelings or say those words or take those actions. And that kind of living takes a toll. There was a show a few years ago called The Americans, and it was about a family living in suburban Maryland during the last decade of the Cold War. But the key thing is that the parents are Russian spies. They've been deeply embedded for years. And at the beginning of the show, the kids have no idea that their parents are Russian spies. They were born in the United States. They've been raised as Americans. They look like the ideal family. But over the course of the show, the daughter, Paige, finds out. She finds out and she's drafted into this double life. She has to keep the secret. Everything is at stake and it has an impact on her. You can see a little bit, just a little bit of it on the screen. She starts the show light and free, light and carefree, and she continues, she transitions to being burdened, heavy laden. You can see the weight of what she should not be carrying, what she was not meant to be carrying on her face. By the end of the show, it is even more striking. You can see the iciness in her visage as she's keeping the secret. Friends, the double life is exhausting. We can see it. These shows get it, but it's true for all of us. The double life is exhausting because the secrets wear us down. The sin burdens our soul. Whether we have named it as sin and recognize it or are unaware that it is sin, the sin burdens our soul and it keeps us in darkness. And when we're in darkness, we are kept without that fellowship, that community, that intimacy with God. We are kept without that fellowship, that community, that intimacy with the people around us. We are kept without the ability to live out the truth, the purpose for which we were made for. We are kept from that purification, from that healing from the wounds that, we, that, we, that have been inflicted on us and that we inflict on ourselves and even on others. We are kept without all those things. And the solution, the solution to this, the path back into the light is confession. Confession unburdens the soul because it brings us into the light. Confession unburdens the soul because it brings us into the light. And you and I were made for the light. But coming into the light can be a scary proposition. We may wonder what it will cost us. We may wonder how God might react. We may wonder how others might react if they find out. We may wonder what we might receive if we admit what is true, what we've been hiding, what we've been keeping secret. And it might tempt us to believe that it's better to just stay in the darkness. I knew of a family many years ago who had children, and when the children were young, one day uh, the parents realized that a vase had broken. 
a vase had broken. And after finding out about this, the parents were affected. The vase was important. And they called the kids in and asked them if any of them knew what happened to this vase. Some of you have lived this story with your kids. Some of you have been the kids in the story. You know that this can go many ways. There can be silence. There can be denial. There can be blame. If there is a pet, I can guarantee you the pet might be blamed. But in this story, the oldest child took a step forward and said, head down. It was me. I did it. And I'm so sorry. And the parents were moved by this, by the honesty, by the forthrightness, by the desire to speak the truth and know punishment came because after all, who goes through childhood without breaking something? There's a parallel to our lives. Who goes through life without sinning? Who goes through life without hurting someone? Who goes through life without making a mistake or doing something that displeases God? Friends, God knows that. God knows that we sin. God knows that more than likely there is a pretty good chance that you and I are going to sin in the future. We're going to get it wrong. And when we feel the weight of not having gotten it right, when we feel the weight of owning up uh, to what we did, when we feel the weight of what might happen if it is revealed, let, is rem let us remember that God already knows. And let us resist the lie that staying in the darkness is better than coming into the light because God already knows and his posture towards us remains as it has always been, love. 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 And according to this passage, here's a truth for us today. When it comes to living in the light, what is required is not perfection. What is required is honesty about our imperfection. What keeps us in the light, what gets us back into the light is not perfection, but honesty about our imperfection. Now, let me be clear. God encourages us towards perfection. We are to aspire to live the kind of lives that are sinless. We are to desire that and strive towards that and work towards that. But what keeps us in the light is honesty about all the times where we miss the mark, all the times when we fail, all the times when we drop the ball. That is what's going to keep us in the light. That's what's going to keep us connected to God. It's what's going to keep us connected to each other. It's what's going to guide us as we live out the truth, the purpose for which we were made. It's what's going to keep us pure, healed, cleansed. Years ago, I was given a piece of advice connected to confession. And I'm going to share it with you now. The piece of advice was keep your confessions current. Keep your confessions current. At every opportunity where you might have strayed into the darkness or might be tempted to swing into the darkness or to stay in the darkness, come back into the light. Keep your confessions current. It will keep you connected to God. It will keep you connected to community. It will keep you living the life you were made to live. It will keep you being healed and being part of the healing God is bringing into our world. Be consistently honest, both about what's gone well and what hasn't gone well. Decide to live a life with no secrets. 
carrying none of the burdens you weren't meant to carry and thrive and thrive. And I want to give us a way to do that today, a way to enter into confession. And it's two prayers. The first one comes from Scripture, and I'm going to share it from the paraphrase that's contained in the message. It's from Psalm 139. And I'm going to invite you to pray these kinds of prayers. It says, Investigate my life, O God, and find out everything about me. Cross-examine me and test me. Get a clear picture of what I'm about. See for yourself whether I've done anything wrong. Then guide me on the road to eternal life. Some of us are more familiar with the classic version or the classic translation which says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I'm going to give you a moment right now to pray that kind of prayer, to ask God to reveal anything that you might be keeping hidden. And let it come, friends, because know that the one that is doing the searching loves you, wants you to be free, wants you to be unburdened. Take the moment now. See what comes up. Let this prayer reveal what it needs to. Come, Holy Spirit. As things are coming up, I want you to resist three temptations to ignore or minimize, three obstacles that will keep you from coming into the light. You can keep doing the searching. I'm going to name the three temptations to resist. The first temptation is the temptation of self-deception, and it sounds like, that wasn't a big deal. Or it sounds like, that's not who I am. Here's why that one is particularly dangerous. Oftentimes, when we tell ourselves that, we keep ourselves from getting to the root of what caused us to sin. And God wants us to root that out, resist that temptation as God reveals things. The second one it has to do with the societal approach right now to sin and mistakes, which is deny and don't apologize. Research has been done with public occurrences of sin or of mistakes, and the people who get through it the best are the people who deny and or don't apologize. That may work somehow in our world currently, but it keeps us in darkness. Resist that temptation. And the third temptation is the lie of the evil one. Once the evil one convinces us to sin, the lie he tells us to keep us in darkness is that God will never forgive us, that that was the last straw. That is not true. And if you are hearing that right now, know that God is inviting you into the light where there will be restoration. Now, take whatever has come up, whatever God has revealed, and now the step is to confess. The step is to bring it into the light. And I'm going to give you a prayer. It's adapted from the Book of Common Prayer, and I'm going to read it out for us. And I want you to adopt whatever part of this is your own. Here we go. It says, Most merciful God, I confess that I have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what I have done and what I have left undone. I've not loved you with my whole heart. I've not loved my neighbors. I am truly sorry, and I humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on me and forgive me that I may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. 
Oh man, I'm going to leave that up for just a second. And for those of you who are watching online, it's actually going to be back up at the end of the service. But if there's anything else you need to confess, anything else you need to bring into the light, any truth you need to speak to God, any way you need to resist the temptation to hide, do it now. Do it now. Do it now. Come, Holy Spirit. I want to pray over us to close this time, and I'm going to invite the worship team to join me on stage as I pray. I, the tradition that I first started to learn about Jesus in uh, had a part of the service where we did confession as a prayer. And then a thing I loved is that after we prayed a prayer of confession, whoever was leading the service or the pastor would stand up and speak what was called in our bulletin the words of forgiveness. And so I'm going to speak words of forgiveness and then pray a prayer of forgiveness for us as the worship team joins me on stage. Would you receive this forgiveness? Actually, the words come from today's text that says, and receive these words, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. May you know that what God spoke then through the scripture has been true throughout history and is true today and is true for you. And may that free you to walk in the light and worship with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Amen.